Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Philip Barker. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, that these are unceded lands and treaty has never been made in Australia. Now, Philip Barker is a teacher from the Blue Mountains and he's joining us with his debut novel, Climb. Ashley Davies has a talent for climbing, but so far it's only been useful for hiding out at lunchtime and beating the bullies who insulted her brother. There's too many secrets in Ashley's life, and no one wants to trust her with the truth. So when a rock climbing competition offers her a chance to maybe get some answers, Ashley decides it might be worth keeping a few secrets of her own. Philip joins us as a really special conversation because Philip and I actually got to speak face-to-face to chat about his debut novel, Climb. Phil, it is so great to have you here. It is so great to be able to look up and see a guest who's not on a screen. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate it. It's so good to be here. It's also so good to be in Lura. This place is beautiful. It is, it is incredible, but anywhere is incredible when we're face-to-face. I mean, it, it blows my mind to say yeah. two years. Two years since I've had a guest. Has it been two years? Two, wow. Well, two years since we left the studio and we've been recording from home. Uh, it, it, look, it is, it is fantastic. And a part of that two years has also been your journey to becoming a writer. Let, can I start you off there? Like, yeah, man. How did you know, where did this journey to becoming a writer begin for you? Well, I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always loved it. Like in high school, I, so I come from a family with um, a single mum and five kids. So we didn't have much money. And so we had one TV and having to share that with all of your brothers and your sister, you don't really get it very often. So we had a ton of books. So we just, from day one, were reading heaps and I love reading. And so it just seemed like the next like logical step. I'm going to start writing. Why not? That's incredible. And you are being super humble here because... There are plenty of people that say, yeah, I want to write. There are plenty of people that probably have notepads full of scribbles. Not all of them get bound into a book. Was there a catalytic event that turned? We're going to talk about climb in a second. Was there, a, was there an, a, something that turned climb from a scribble on a notepad into a book? There was actually a couple of things. Uh, it started out with um, I've been wanting to write for ages but because I'm a teacher and an English teacher, which is just the worst thing to be if you want to write a book, because all you're doing is spending all day, every day, looking at other people's writing and going, oh, well, this could be better. And then you look at your own writing and go, oh, well, this could be better, instead of going, no, that's fine. I'll do. I'll be good. Um, so I became an English teacher, and then I just started books and never really finished them, because I always thought these aren't good enough, toss them aside. They're not, I don't know. They're not Tolstoy, they're not any, they're not Melina Marquetta, not any of that stuff that's like really good. Um, so I just kept tossing him aside. And then I've had a couple of writers clubs at school with the kids because I've noticed lots of the kids really like writing, but it's one of those groups where they don't really get listened to. And 
I, I don't like that. At school, I hate seeing kids that want to do something that can't do it, especially because they're not sporty. Because, yeah, I'm not really keen on sporty kids because, yeah, yeah, nah. Um, they can go do their sport. I prefer the kids that are, like, creative and really want to express themselves on paper. And so we started writing clubs, and then we did the Neil Gaiman Masterclass at lunchtimes for, like, a term. And one of the things he said was, um, make sure you finish things. Don't just start and then give up halfway. And it resonated with me because, like, he was the teacher. I wasn't the teacher during that. So I was with the kids. I was one of the students. I was like, oh, my God, that's so true. I have about 100 stories that I've started and never finished. I got finished a story. So I went home and wrote out the whole outline for a terrible, terrible story that never ended up being, um, never ended up uh, staying because I fixed it up later. And then I just started writing it and said to my wife, I'm going to write this story. I don't care if it's good, don't care if it's bad, but it will be done. And that is what's important. And so, yeah, I started writing it. And then halfway through, I kind of hit a dead end because I thought, this is rubbish. But then I broke my foot, and now I have a metal foot, which is cool. Um, science is cool. And um, when I was in hospital, I just kept writing and writing and writing and writing. And then finally, about it was actually the day before my birthday last year, um, I had a book, and it was a manuscript. I was like, oh, my God, I finished something. This is cool. And then because it was my first one, it wasn't very good. <laughs> and so I spent... Um, like the next six months editing it and I had to look into the whole process of what you have to do. So much fun. So many cool people. I think that answers your question. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah. And I, I think I hope so. I think that is, and we may get to this more later because there are so many journeys to becoming a writer. That's actually really important. I mean, I feel like if everyone took, you know, the express train to bookdom, the stories we have wouldn't be as diverse and incredible. Um, and I want, to get to, I want to get to your story, or more importantly, the story you have created in Climb. So we meet Ashley Davies. She's got a talent for climbing, but so far it's only useful for hiding out at lunchtime and beating the bullies who insult her brother. And there's too many secrets in Ashley's life, and no one wants to trust her with the truth. So when a rock climbing competition offers her the chance to maybe get some answers... Ashley decides it might be worth keeping a few secrets of her own. And I want to start off with the idea that, Ashley, we are going to be following her story because Ashley's story is interwoven with her brother, Cameron's. And Cameron's story is, I'm going to say, it is something of a secret. It's absolutely compelling, but no spoilers. We're going to let people discover that on their own. But consequently, because it's a secret to Ashley, it's a secret to us as the reader as well. How did you know that the story you were writing was Ashley's and not Cameron's. Like I can, I can see a whole nother book that's Cameron's story. <laughs> um, was there a moment that you knew Ashley would shine as your protagonist? Uh, I knew that I wanted to have a female protagonist because whenever I see books at school, especially because there is an element of sport in it, like it's not a rock climbing book because that'd be boring. Um, I thought that if we actually had a story, that'd be more fun to read. But it has some rock climbing in it. And it's always got a, fem- a male um, protagonist. And it's like Specky McGee, all of that stuff. And I just, there's so many really, really like cool um, athletic um, uh, teenage girls. But they don't really shine. 
like even when you look in rock climbing, you've got um like Alex Honnold is the one everyone knows, Tommy Caldwell, all of them, but you don't hear about lots of the female ones, even though they are crushing just as much as the guys. So I thought, well, instead of just making a huge statement about it, let's just, I'll just try and do that. I'll just try and make it like normal. Like, this is cool. This is a cool character. Hopefully. I, tr- I um, when I started writing her, I didn't really know anything about her. I didn't do that thing that lots of people say to do, which is um, write down a whole ton of stuff about the character. I just kind of dove straight in and I had kind of an image in my head. I was like, oh, that's cool. But um, after, after spending a lot of time with her and her family and all of that and doing all the writing and all that, I felt like I actually did get to know her, which was awesome. And then I actually I stopped seeing her as a conglomeration of other kids that I'd met throughout my teaching career. And she was actually her own person. I was like, this person's actually kind of cool. And yes, there are way more interesting stories happening around her, but they're impacting her kind of the same way that like other people in our lives impact us more than our own drama actually impacts us. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you're on a similar journey to, you know, if we, if we think back like 10, 20 years, um, male sport dominated in Australia. And it's not that uh, women's leagues didn't exist, but everyone was making this assumption that they were boring and nobody would want to watch them. And then someone put, pointed a camera People paid attention, and now we have just a, a much wider sporting world. And I mean, what I'm getting from you is like that's Ashley is Ashley is that person who you know we could see her grow up and be one of those women who is crushing rock climbing and and deserves a bit more attention. And and I want to kind of get to that because like based on carbon dating references in climb of <laughs> references to the Nokia brick phone, I've noted that this story is set maybe 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, 2005. It's on the first page. It says oh, 2005. There you go. This is one of those things. I, I saw the Nokia brick phone and I'm just like, yeah, 2005. Oh, okay. Well, first, did you, did you have to like triple check all your references? Cause I, I actually went on a deep dive because there's also, um, is it Jacob has, who's got the, who's got the, the internet phone? Oh, that's Kyle. Yeah. That's Kyle. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. And I was just like, okay, I've got to cross reference the Nokia brick phone with when the <laughs> early internet phones were coming out. I yeah. actually, I actually had it in my head pinned to around 2005, 2007, and I could have just gone back to the first page. Oh, see. That works out. I also, though, I know that you're a teacher, and that got me wondering whether Ashley and her classmates are based on your students, or maybe some more personal experience. I feel like if we go back to 2005, you were probably uh, a similar age to Ashley. Um, I chose 2005 because that's, yeah, when I was a teenager, and so it was really easy to, it was like, what was life like when I was a teenager? Oh, it was like that. That's cool. It also kind of worked as a really easy plot device, like um, plot hacks. Um, it's, um, if there's no internet, they can't just Google all of the mysteries. <laughs> like, oh, um, I don't want to give away anything from the novel, but she has a series of questions she wants to have answered and she can't get immediately to the answers because she can't just go on the internet uh, because she lives in a tiny little town in rural Australia and the internet's not a big deal there yet. And um, she doesn't have a phone and, um, well, she, her brother has a Nokia but yeah, they don't have the internet. And that really made it more fun that she had to find the answers more physically than just going on the internet and going, oh, well, that's the answer to that question. Oh, well, end of the book. Cool. Yeah. Take yeah. five. 
All right, so we've... Oh, we've and sorry, on the... Um, oh, please. I'm so sorry, I just I, I remember what you said about the thing. Um, they, and on the students, they... I've got... Because I've been teaching for a little bit now. Like, I'm not going to say I've been teaching for a long time. It's just a bit longer than I had a couple of years ago. And um, I've started to see... I've got, like, a new respect for teenagers. When I started teaching, it was very... Um, okay, well, they just need to shut up do what they're told, and then they will learn, and then they will get out of school because that's what life is about, finishing school, school sucks, all that. But um, over the years, I've learned kids are actually kind of cool, and they actually really want to get into their education. And if you leave them to it, they will, like, persevere, um, and they will, yeah, they have a lot of respect for teenagers. Mm. And I really wanted that to come through in the book. It's not just about adults fixing problems for teenagers it's and it's not teenagers just throwing things out of proportion it's there are genuine things that teenagers have to go through and it does suck and they do get they do um overcome it themselves and i think that's awesome and i really i i don't haven't read enough books to see it happen in a lot of other books but i felt maybe that's something i could bring to um, a book is just the way that I see teenagers as kind of cool. Let's keep pulling on that thread because in climb, Ashley has this natural talent for climbing, but it's also a skill that needs nurturing. And I mean, re- like realistically, we are talking about, you know, the, the pedagogical journey. You can have all the talent in the world, but we need to develop our talents. Her mum, though, her mum wants her to stay safe. This is part of the mystery, the stories that Ashley doesn't know yet. Um, And a part of this is because her brother uses a wheelchair following this undisclosed event in the past. Ashley has to manage a lot of competing interests here. And it got me wondering about that agency that teens and young adults have in their life. Um, you've, You've touched on this already, but I wanted to ask, do you think teens are given enough credit for being able to make informed decisions about their lives? I think when we know our voice is going to be heard, we think a lot more about what we say. (laughs) And a lot of teenagers don't think their voice is going to be heard, so it doesn't matter what they say. Um, But there are so many incredible teenagers in the world. But when I was a teenager, and I think it's something... We all struggle with it when we're young. I still struggle with it. It's that you don't like feeling like you've got more to learn. Mm. And we've all always got more to learn, of course. Um, but any teenager that, or teenager, any person that under, that has a strong drive to do well and feels like their voice is, is going to be heard and they really think about what they're saying and then they accept that, they do have more to learn, but that's how they feel at that time. And there's a reason that they feel that way. Well, we can't really ask more than that, can we? I mean, we, we really have created a false dichotomy in the world. You, t- you described it before, this idea that you go to school, you finish school, and then you're, you're in the world. And somehow there's, we draw a line under education But, you know, we were talking off air and in your profession, in my profession, we have this thing called professional development, which is basically you are at school for life because, I mean, it is scary to think that there are people out there who think they have learnt everything 
and don't need to know any more. And we, we live in this incredible time where, as you say very correctly, there are amazing teenagers in the world. There are some whose names we know and there are more whose names we don't, but they are out there pushing for change that ideally we would see adults trying to make in the world. So, yeah, I really, I really like this idea of knowing that you have more to learn but still knowing what you know now and, and having a voice about that. I think that was really that was something really important that you said there. <laughs> Thanks, man. We brought in a, a fun thing at school that actually was really effective, and it was um, we put um, QR codes all around the school on a poster, and it's just called Student Feedback Point. Okay. And they just scan the QR code and then just either give um, like, oh, there's not enough toilet paper in the toilets, or there's um one of the big ones that really changed um, a whole a bunch of kids got more positive about school. They said um. We don't like that they sell the frozen ice lolly things in the canteen and then it takes us half of lunch to get to it and then we have to throw them out at the end of lunch. Okay. That's a yeah. fascinating thing to learn because we, we've forgotten what it's like to stand in line at lunchtime and then only get your food at the end of lunch and then get in trouble because you've got your food in class the next period. <laughs> and then um, other kids said other things like, um, we'd like it if the teachers um, fixed A, B, and C because then we'd be able to focus more in class and all that. They actually felt like they had a voice. And so they told us stuff that was actually useful. It was awesome as opposed to just like being grumpy. That is, that is incredible, yeah. And that's, I mean, we, we talked before about how you have utilized the lack of technology in your plot, but there is also some incredible use of technology and kids like embracing it. I wonder though, like, given everything we've just been saying, did you feel any pressure in representing Ashley in all her her thoughtfulness and her power, but also in her subterfuge? There's she has to she has to go. I don't behind, know what subterfuge means. She <laughs> has to need go, help with that. She has to go behind people's backs. She has to, if not if not lie, at least bend the truth. So she's she's sort of walking both sides of the road here. Yeah. Did you did you feel any pressure in representing her as? you know, a, a voice of teens as, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't really thought of it like that. I kind of just thought of it as everybody is stuck doing that thing where they, um, I don't have as good words as you, sorry. <laughs> I don't have as good words. And um, we always want to do things to make other people happy. But then there's also what we think is the right thing to do. Yeah. And sometimes that's not the same thing. <laughs> And it's do we do what we think is right and then potentially upset some people or let down some people or do we do something to make other people happy but then kind of know that we're not doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so when she tries to follow her dream, well, to follow her dream, um, when she tries to uncover what the hell's going on so that she stops stressing about why the whole town hates her um, and she actually figures and finding out why her life is as weird as it is um, as she sees as the right thing to do, she knows would be letting down her mum and letting down her brother because they would be stressing about her. Yeah. You put her in this really um, interesting and I think important dilemma of having to break rules, but rules that that might not make that much sense. Or at least nobody's, if they do make sense, nobody's helped her understand why they make sense. She doesn't want to let down her mum. She doesn't want to go against her wishes, mm. but... I mean, I, I think as the reader sees the story unfold, they can understand that um, it's Claire, isn't it? Ashley's mom's Claire. Clara. Clara, sorry. They, they start to understand that maybe Clara is not being completely reasonable in all of her wishes 
for Ashley. And that gets us to climbing. Yeah? Yeah. I know you're a climber. What's the What was the process for you of like translating such an embodied instinctual sport onto the page? Like how do you how do you take this thing that you know how to do and write it in a way that brings it alive for people that, you know, maybe have never climbed much higher than the top bunk? <laughs> well, I, I hope it brings it alive. That's what I was hoping. Um, the whole point originally was I wanted, because I'm a teacher and I do like teaching stuff. And so whenever I'm not teaching stuff, I don't really know what to do with myself besides climb on stuff. Um, and I wanted to do the basics of rock climbing, but in a way that was kind of interesting so that by the end of it, you're like, oh, I read this book. This book was kind of cool. Oh, I know how to rock climb now. That's cool. Um, and one of the things that really sparked that as we should make this a how-to guide was we saw, I was climbing with my wife down in Springwood during lockdown, just in one of the local crags because we couldn't go very far. And um, these two newbies were terrifyingly a couple of climbs over from us. And, oh, my God, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my entire life. They hadn't been taught how to use their belay devices correctly. They hadn't been taught how to um, clip correctly. They hadn't been taught any of the stuff that you need to know just to keep yourself safe. Like, there's not that many things you need to know, but you do need to know them because if you, just, mm. you mess them up, well, you can. I've got a foot to show you for it. <laughs> it doesn't go well. And I got really lucky. Um and which genuinely, we saw one of them almost die. We had to like call the guys. You need to stop what you're doing right now. You need to come down, and we are going to sort this out for you. And then, um, then you climb all day. But we are going to fix this up first because mm-hmm. we don't want to see you dead today. Um, and so I really wanted to just kind of pepper in. This is all the things you need to know, and really try and hammer home. You got to do it right because if you don't do it right don't get to do it twice. <laughs> You've got to do it um, because, yeah, you die if you don't do it right. Mm-hmm. It's um, You get quite blasé after a couple of years of doing it, especially young kids that have had parents that have had them doing it for years and years and years. They're like, oh, yeah, it's cool. I'm just going to do um, this knot here and I'm going to do this here. Oh, Bob's your uncle. My Gregory will catch me. It's cool. Um, but in reality, it is quite serious. All right, maybe you've already answered my next question just there, but I also noticed that at the beginning, you put a warning at the beginning of the book, cautioning readers about the dangers of climbing and the need for proper instruction. But when I read it, and as I read Climb, I had this thought like, yeah, books have this incredible power to inspire. We want books to inspire us. I'm sure many writers will say, yeah, they wanted their readers to take something away from this book. But putting, putting a warning like, hey, don't just read this book and think you can climb... It felt like a really interesting spin on that idea of inspiration. <laughs> like, if you want to do this, just don't do it. <laughs> no. If uh, I have inspired you, please seek, <laughs> please seek further instruction. Yeah, it's really annoying because um, I was actually talking to an older climber who's just retired, actually. Um, I find it really stressful climbing with him because I really want to impress him. And I feel like every time I climb, I just look. It's like, oh, no, I'm looking like a, a newbie again. It's like, oh, wait, he's 30 years older than me. That explains it. That's why he's so good at this. Um, and he said back when he learned, they, everyone had a mentor, and you didn't go out unless you had a mentor, and you just, like, hung out with those people, and they taught you everything as it went. And it's like they didn't, they didn't let you start going on the cliff until you already knew how to, um, how to clip your gear, how to thread out at the top, how to um, control your rope, all of that stuff. But we don't really have that kind of 
atmosphere anymore. It's more a gym atmosphere. You pop in on your own, you climb on your own, and then you just magically somehow learn all of this stuff. There's no mentor situations anymore. And um, 100% respect to the mountaineering um, companies up in the mountains. We need more of them. And we need them to be more accessible because people need to be able to go there the first time and say, actually, I don't know how to climb. I don't know how to do, I don't know how to control my rope. I don't know how to control my gear. I don't know how to place gear. I don't know. To, I don't even know where to look at what cliffs there are, what good ones there are. And that's when the um, mountaineering guides can go, sweet, we are now going to teach you all of that stuff. Yeah. But it's not going to take one day. It's going to take at least 10 sessions. And you can't, and you technically can learn it on YouTube, but you don't want to learn it on YouTube <laughs> because it's so different doing it in real life. And if you screw it up, you screw it up, and you don't get to screw it up. You need someone there to back you up and go, "Hey, mate, you did that wrong," and that's why we're not going to let you go anywhere until yeah. you fix it up. And like, yes, and so realistically, through climb, you're presenting these two different pedagogies. You've got Ashley in school where teachers have a, a way of teaching and learning and then you have her out in her world learning to climb. And, and that was where I wanted to go next because she's, Ashley's taken under the wing of the school janitor who happens to be a former climbing champion. He's the brother of... Oh, well, we're not going to give it too much. Not oh, no, no, too much. I, I, don't <laughs> think we, I don't think we're giving away too <laughs> like that, much that here. Was, that was like a, that's a big, big reveal. <laughs> I, need, I, I, need, I need to set this up a little bit, yeah, though, sorry. because I, did, I have a couple of questions here and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to give you a double barrel question. Okay. So but you can choose I'll how write, you want to answer I'll write them down so I actually answer them. I don't go on another tangent. <laughs> What I was hoping was if you could reflect on that kind of role of, of teachers and you've just reflected a bit on mentors in a student's development, but also on writing this interaction. So the way this, the way this kind of unfolds, an interaction that begins in deception. Like Ashley has to begin this relationship by deceiving her mum and working with, this, working with this person. Like I think on the first pass, you might sort of say, are we sure this is a safe, a safe relationship? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I hope that will come across because when you're a teenager, you don't want to run everything by your parents. I'm sure you didn't want to. It's just like, oh, is this safe? Is this safe? Is this safe? And especially if you've got parents like mine that were um, working all the time, trying to support the family, lots of kids, and you don't want to be like, oh, maybe should I do this? Should I do this? And at the same time, you're gonna you want to rebel because you're a teenager. Um, yeah. I hope I hope we kind of walk the line quite well in the novel where she's being a bit rebellious because she's a bit unhappy because of situations that she's in, but also she does get in some some dicey situations because she doesn't talk to her parents about stuff, yeah, and um, that whole not listening to people and then getting yourself in trouble for um, I've been in that situation more times than I can count more times than most people could probably count. I've been in so many times because I don't like listening to people very much. And um, like I'm, one of my favorite um, things that I look back on, it's like I could have died that day, was when I didn't know how to thread out correctly, which is when you get to the top of a climb and then you've got to um, take out your gear, which is your quick draws and stuff, and then you've got to um, tie your rope um, to you so that you use your gear underneath you. I'll try and, I'll try and simplify this so it doesn't sound crazy. And then you have to put the rope through the fixed anchors. Mm -hmm. So then you get all your stuff back. 
And then you go back down the bottom and go, okay, cool. I got all my stuff back. Cool. Because otherwise you have to leave something at the top of every climb and that would cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know how to do that properly. And I was at the top of a beginner climb just with my friend who also wasn't very good, just completely new. And I got to the top of, it was Manana. I'll never forget it. A 25 meter climb in the sun bath, which is right near the Hydro Majestic. Mm-hmm. And I got to the top and I didn't have enough quick draws and I didn't have my has and I didn't have all the um, screw gates and all of that that you need in order to do the thing that I needed to do and I didn't know how to do it properly so I ended up just kind of sitting at the top of a 25 meter cliff with one quick draw which is just like a little clip um, connecting me to the cliff which no <laughs> and then I had to take off the rope and unthread it through it's like you should never be in that situation anyone who's done anything at all when it comes to training would never let themselves get in that situation. Did you did you know at the time how dangerous it was? Or oh, was yeah. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I didn't know how to get down <laughs> to sort it out. Because sometimes it's, sometimes when we're younger, it's a case of you don't know what you don't know, and it's later you realise how dangerous it was. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. But um, I should have done a, a – hopefully anybody that hears this goes, um, okay, I'm going to get a proper, proper uh, lessons before actually attempting it ourselves. Um, anyway, I'll go back to the question. So that's um, that's why you should learn how to climb before you do it with some random person you met that doesn't know much about climbing either. And, um, the role of teachers and mentors. Um, I always look back at my teachers and mentors, um, and then I realize that I'm looking back at them through the eyes of a teenager because I never saw them as people. Yeah. But um, I like to treat students... Like, I don't ever want to be their friend, mm-hmm. and I like to make that very clear. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to nurture you. I'm a teacher, and if you do have if you do have issues making friends and that, cool. Let's find some ways for you to make some friends. Let's manage that. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like, I really tried to put that forwards in the book because all of her teachers are teachers. They're not there to be her best friend. They actually want to teach her stuff. And in small towns like that, everybody knows everybody. So everybody knows everything about everybody. So it just kind of blurs those lines a little bit. Like it's weird having a teacher that is hey, a figurehead in the classroom and teaching stuff, and then they leave the school and you still see them at the shops. Do you think... Um Do you think it's important, though, to look... I mean, one thing you show us in Climb is that you can look further afield for people that who are going people who are going to teach you things. And conversely, it also strikes me, you know, there is a scene in Climb where without giving too much away, one of the one of the teachers, I, th- I I'll be I'll be vague and you'll probably hopefully understand. One of hopefully. the teachers <laughs> one of the teachers has to address a non-student, in fact has to address Ashley's mum about a situation. Yeah. And that strikes me um, he's he's moving a very fine line between teacher and peer. Yeah, because they actually went to school together. Yeah, um, I mean, it strikes me, you know, in in the small town environment that you're describing, you can be a bit re- restrained by your roles. Yeah, but that also for Ashley, she needed to look outside the regular teachers yeah. to find the person who was going to help her grow. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Well, that was awesome, man. Thanks for taking that from it. Um, the scene with um, whoever the teacher was and the mum. I just had that idea. I just. All, Occasionally, 
like lots of the book just kind of happened as it happened and then mm. I refined it as going. But I just loved the idea of a teacher getting a parent in trouble. Mm. And I was like, okay, I have to write that in there. I hope it works. I hope it worked. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's it, um, whenever any, whenever like, a teacher talks to us, even other teachers talking to me, you instantly feel like a student again. <laughs> and you forget that you're actually an adult and you have a university degree. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. <laughs> Don't put me on detention. We're going to leave, we're going to leave uh, Ashley to borrow maybe a metaphor. We're going to leave her hanging okay. halfway, halfway up and down the cliff because... <laughs> We keep talking about the things that we can't talk about. And yeah. Ashley, Ashley has got a challenge to surmount and mysteries to uncover. But before we close up, I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the birth of Climb. In, in setting up our chat today, you mentioned that there's already a sequel on the way. Yeah. You're in the process of moving also from Climb was self-published. Yeah. Um, to maybe, maybe something in a little bit more in that more formal industry publishing space. Yeah. That's a really unique situation to be in. Can you reflect a little bit? Like, how's the process going? And and can you reflect on those two systems now that you're kind of in the middle of them? <laughs> um, orig- sorry. Originally, I wanted to do it all self-published because in my mind, it was like, I have a ter- I have terrible self-esteem. This has done wonders for it, but it's still pretty low. Um, there's, I wanted it to just be, I want to look at my bookshelf and have a book that I've written and be proud of that book that I have written. And that is all. And then I will sleep soundly for the rest of my life. And then I wrote the book and I was incredibly proud of how it came out. And even I was incredibly proud that I spent so long editing it and that I've met so many incredible, wonderful people that have helped me um, make it what it is. Cause I couldn't do it on my own. <laughs> no, um, people are awesome. Just on the, just in general. And, um, I didn't realize that when I lived in Sydney and now that I'm actually meeting more people out West, it's wonderful. Um, and, um, I just wanted to do that. And then I realized that I love writing and I want to write more and I can't market to save my life. If I've just, thank you for agreeing. Um, I'm terrible at marketing. No, I'm I'm actually more agreeing that, uh, you know, you, (laughs) what you're hitting on there is the outsized role of marketing. Yeah, you got to do you got to do everything, man. Mm. Um, when you're I, self-publishing, it's all on you, and you're like um, promoting yourself. and And there's so many companies that are made to just make money, and they don't actually care about your book. And every time I spoke to a company, I said, "Hey, give me a hand with marketing, please, and I will give you a percentage of however many you assist me in selling." And they said, "Now listen, how it works. How about you just give us a whole ton of money, and then if we help you sell books, that's just gravy." Mm. Uh, no, not having that. Um, I just want to write more, and then I want somebody who's also invested with me. So that's the cool thing about publishers. They make money based on how many books they sell. Yeah. And I don't want to get rich or anything. Like I'm very comfortable just being a teacher. It's lovely. I think you'll be quite happy to know then that very few writers get rich. Yeah, it's sweet. Like ten, ten, eleven thousand dollars <laughs> is the uh, I think the average and or sort of median. Mm. Um, that a writer makes in a year, which uh, if, wow. if anyone, yeah, if people are out there listening, that is a, actually, it's a, a number that we don't talk about often enough, mm. but it is a very important number to remember, you know, as you're, as you're reading books, these, these people are not necessarily living on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, then you see like Stephen King's salary. It's like, okay, well maybe you can make money as a writer, but no, 
that would be that would be like a, I don't really want to. I just want as many people to read it as possible because mm. I genuinely think it's a it's a fun story and I really really enjoyed writing it and I'm so proud of it. Like I didn't realize I'd be this proud of it. I'm so proud, especially the illustrations by Cat Churchill. Mm. Um, the front cover, Cat just knocked it out of the ballpark. I've known Cat since uni, so it's like eleven years, and she just said, "Cool, man, I'll give you a hand doing all that." And so, thank God I knew her. Otherwise, I. I don't know, I would have been just throwing something together on Canva. It looked pretty bodgy. And then, um, so she's done all of that. It looks incredible. I love the story. I'm super proud of it. I just want as many people to be able to access it as possible. And I think that traditional publishing might be the better, better way to go about that. So I got in contact with, um, she's actually an old teacher of my, of my brother's. Um, she, I mentioned her earlier, Melina Marquetta. And I was like, uh, Melina is a, a, a good friend of the show. We oh, chatted awesome. about Yeah, we've chatted before. She's lovely, isn't she? Melina is amazing. Yeah. In the scariest email I've ever written in my whole life. And like, like, put, let's, put it, let's put it in context for people who aren't immediately pinging on the name yeah. Melina Marquetta. Uh, we'll just say, looking for Ala Brandy. Oh, yeah, and everyone is going to go, Melina Marquetta. <laughs> I think, I think um, Finnegan of the Rock, that series is going really well. I haven't read it yet, but apparently it's awesome. So she, yeah, her, she has this the most incredible length and depth in terms oh, yeah. of her um catalogue, her, catalog, her library. Yeah. So you got in touch with Melina. Yeah. And so we met up for a coffee and I was just like, oh my God, this person, she wants to actually meet up with me. This is so cool. Don't say anything stupid. Don't say anything stupid. <laughs> um, we met up and we just started chatting about like um, the writing process and all of that. And we got along really well. She's, she's a wonderful human. And um, then she said, yeah, dude, um, she enjoyed the book. Apparently she yeah, she said, it's good. You should like get it traditionally published. So then you can actually write some more stuff because you clearly like writing which I, and they do lots of the work for you. You don't make as much money potentially, but yeah, you get to write more. And I thought that's sick. So um, at the moment I'm talking to a, an agent that she helped me out find and we'll see what they think. If not, um, climb two has actually been written and it's currently in, I've got my list of edits that I need to do that keep reminding me because I'm really terrified to do the edits, because I'm, so, I'm even prouder of Climb 2 than I could ever have been of Climb 1, because I just, I didn't make it bigger. I deliberately didn't make it bigger. I was like, don't make it bigger. That's what everyone always does. Um, so I just tried to focus on um, finishing the story from the first one, because you would have noticed it finishes on a, the story will continue on in Climb 2, um, because it kind of... Um, there's more that needs to be said. It is a story, but there's more to say. Um, and then, yeah, super proud of Climb 2. And um, it comes out hopefully later in the year. Um, and I want to, I might just self-publish that one as well, just to get it out there, because a couple of people have been asking for it. And it might just be fun, kind of just to give it how I want it released, the same way that the first one was released, how I wanted it to be released. And then if the publisher says, now we're going to change a whole bunch of stuff, I can go, cool. That's all right, because we've already got the copy that I was proud of. Fantastic. And thank you so much. Like, that is that is an incredible insight to get, that you, you, you're moving between these worlds, which, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily do. And I think people want to understand more about where their books come from. And this is... This is a rare insight. So thanks so much. I am I'm speaking with Philip Barker. We are discussing his debut novel, Climb, which is very soon to be followed up. Phil, thank you so much for thank taking the so time. Much. Thank you for coming in and talking face to face. So much fun. I love doing it. Awesome. <laughs> That's it for this great conversation with Philip Barker. 
Philip's debut novel is Climb. It's published independently through Abbeydale Collective, and you can go to abbeydalecollective.com if you want to find out more. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It is always awesome to hear from you, to find out what you're reading, what you're loving, what you're getting out of the show. If you want more of the podcast, if you want more conversations like this, just subscribe wherever you are. Just click on that little subscribe. It's going to slot it in your podcast feed. A couple come out every week. (laughs) My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.